The fifth of seven trumpets sound and the Apostle John writes, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. The star John sees falling from heaven to earth is certainly Lucifer who unlocks the bottomless pit. Out of the abyss comes a horde of filthy, angry demons to spew their pent-up hatred and evil on earth for 150 days. John describes the pain they inflict like that of a scorpion. If the love of God does not draw us to him, will his wrath? Consider John's sobering conclusion. But the rest of mankind did not repent of the works of their hands. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian Davis. Thanks so much for being here. The revelation of Jesus Christ is an unveiling of future events that will take place in the last days of planet Earth, but it also reveals the condition of the human heart. It is deceitful above all things. It can harden itself against God, even in the most dire circumstances. Today, Ron shows us what will happen when God pours out his wrath upon the earth. Brace yourself. The response of those who are still alive may not be easy to hear. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can listen to the broadcast on your schedule. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get yours. From his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, The Seven Trumpets of God's Wrath. I think what John is doing is is giving us a picture of the unseen spiritual realities, the spiritual warfare that is is, uh, not seen with human eyes, but whose effect is felt on planet Earth. Remember, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. He described, he pulled back the veil as it were, and gave us a glimpse into the unseen spiritual realities. And, and, and John does a similar thing here. He does the best he can to describe what we cannot see with human eyes, but will have a devastating effect on planet Earth. And he says, again, these locust-like creatures, these filthy, frustrated, angry, evil spirits are unleashed onto planet Earth, and they do so for for one reason, and and that is um, to bring great devastation onto planet Earth. Um, John tells us that in addition to these who are released, that there's, there's one particular angel. And you've got to understand that, that the devil is highly organized and there's a hierarchy. You know, again, Paul said, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. There, there are demons that are assigned and given rankings in hell. And there's one particular angel or demon that comes out of the abyss to lead this army, this horde of evil spirits. And in the Hebrew, his name is Abaddon. And in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. And it means one thing, and that's destroyer. 
Again, these are the angels that God, the fallen angels that God locked up into the abyss. They're saved for a particular day. And you have to factor into your theology here, again, a God who uses evil. He reaches down into the abyss and releases these evil spirits at a time that is consistent with the day, the hour, the year, the appointed time for which they had been locked up. And he uses evil for his own righteous purposes without compromising his own righteousness and his own holiness. That, that'll, you know, do some wonders to your theology and your understanding of who God is. But this, this is what John is picturing for us here. If that isn't enough, just hold on to your seatbelts just a little bit longer here. Verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. No wonder the eagle flew across heaven and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, be aware of what's happening here. John goes on in verse 13 and says, the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, John says, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision, those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they would wound. Again, an awesome description of the devastation that these evil spirits bring. And John pictures uh, four more demons that have been locked up there in the abyss that are released almost like terrorists released from Guantanamo Bay. They've been locked up in this prison for all this time. They're angry. They're mad. They want to get out there and wreak havoc on the earth, and they're given a time to do this. And John says, interestingly enough, that these four demons have been locked up near the river Euphrates. Now, we have a, a, a decision to make as Bible interpreters here. Does the river Euphrates mean the river Euphrates, you know, the one on you learn about in geography class and it's on the maps, the one that you can travel to today? Uh, is it that river Euphrates? Or do we spiritualize and allegorize this in some way? Well, when the plain sense makes the best sense, that's the sense to go with. And the river Euphrates here means the river Euphrates. And again, John's giving us a picture of unseen spiritual realities, things that we don't see with the human eye, but are just as real as anything else that we may experience in the physical realm. And apparently, in addition to all the other demons and to this one, there were four that were locked up in the abyss near the river Euphrates. A Bible prophecy expert named Tim LaHaye explains why the reference to Euphrates. He says, these four evil angels are today bound in that area of the world, and it's no accident, for it seems that some of the world's greatest events took place near the river Euphrates. Since it was the boundary for the Garden of Eden near this, river's, near this river, man's first sin was committed. It was evidently near here that the first murder was committed, the first war fought, and the Tower of Babel erected in defiance against God. 
He says, it was near the river Euphrates that Nimrod built the city of Babylon where idolatry received its origin and surged through the world. It was to Babylon that the children of Israel were taken captive, and it will be in this area of the world that the final sin of man will culminate. LaHaye goes on to say, according to Revelation 18, the city of Babylon will be rebuilt and become the headquarters for the commercial, religious, and military activities of the world under the Antichrist rule. It's not hard to imagine the last part and the role that the ancient city of Babylon plays because even Saddam Hussein, when he was in power, was rebuilding the, the city of, of Babylon. Uh, that's changed some, but the book of Revelation uh, puts the city of Babylon uh, at the centerpiece of much what's, of what's happening during the tribulation period. Uh, these four demons that are found at the river Euphrates lead an army of demonic soldiers who are released from the abyss. Here's where another math lesson comes in. John says, I saw 10,000 times 10,000 of them, 200 million demons released from the abyss for one purpose, to kill one-third of mankind on planet Earth. Now, the last time we read about such devastation, such human carnage on the planet was when the fourth horseman of the apocalypse released. Remember the seven seals? The four horsemen were the first four seals, and the fourth one produced such devastation on planet Earth that the Bible says uh, one-fourth of the population died during that time. Again, this is, this is future Bible prophecy. And if you just think about the world's population now, 7. I don't know, 2 billion and, and growth projections, you could easily imagine 8 billion people on planet Earth, 2 billion people dead as a result of the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, 6 billion left, now as a result of the sixth trumpet, one-third of the remaining population, another 2 billion people. Are you following the math here? Because at the end of the first three and a half years of the tribulation, one-half of the world's population is dead. And we've seen big numbers of human carnage in, in past history. World War II, 50 million people died in both World War I and World War II. I just heard on the news this weekend, it's happening as, as we live, 400,000 people have died in Syria because of the bloodshed enacted by the dictator there. It's happening in our lifetime. But when we get into the tribulation period, those kinds of numbers and the human carnage that results escalates to numbers that it's just beyond our wildest comprehension. One half of the world's population dead by the middle of the tribulation period. Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones. Something new is happening at Something Good. At somethinggoodradio.org, we just released a brand new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television, or what we're calling SGTV. There, you'll also find Something Good Travel, Something Good Courses, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Watch, listen, and download for free, and when it's convenient for you. That and a lot more is available now at somethinggoodradio.org. 
And remember, when you send a special gift today, we'll say thank you with a gift of our own. The complete audio download of the series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good Radio message, The Seven Trumpets of God's Wrath. And you got to ask yourself, whatever happened to that good, good father? Whatever happened to God so loved the world? Well, you've got to be careful just having, you know, one kind of lopsided understanding of how God has revealed Himself. It's easy to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and His grace, and we are certainly living at a time, we call it the age of grace, the church age where the rain falls on the just and the unjust, where a beautiful sunny day in Virginia Beach falls on the believer and the unbeliever at the same time, just a picture of God's grace. And it's during that time when, when the Scripture says, today is the day of salvation, because there's coming a day, and God is gracious enough to give us a little glimpse into the future and, 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 and to tell us a little bit about that race toward the end of the age and the last days of planet Earth prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's gracious enough and kind enough to give us a forewarning. But there's coming a day where we see the other side of him, the other side that is righteous and holy and 100% just in unleashing his wrath upon this earth. And I'm just here to tell you, friends, you, you don't want to be here during that time, and neither do I. As we've said in weeks past, the church, the, the, the true church made up of believers in Jesus Christ are not here on this earth during the tribulation period. You, you can escape the coming night, the coming darkness, and all the seal judgments and trumpet judgments. But if you were here, or you know somebody who is, you know, you would think that all this devastation would, would turn the remaining population to repent and run toward the God of heaven and earth. But that's not what happens. Listen to what John says at the end of chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It's a sobering picture. It's a sobering reminder of what we need to understand about the human heart. It easily hardens and calcifies it easily gets us to a point where we curl up our five fingers into a fist and shake it in the face of Almighty God. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's why oftentimes in the Old Testament when God was speaking of His chosen people, He says, I want to give you a heart of flesh, not of stone. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It calcifies, it hardens. 
It doesn't soften naturally in the face of God. Oh, God can woo us by His love and by His grace, or He can get our attention with untold calamity and catastrophe and judgment. And He does both. You say, well, I don't like a God like that. I don't like a God who's full of anger and wrath. Okay, well, of the five sins listed in verses 20 and 21, the first one is idolatry. You know, uh, they, they would not give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. And don't think that idolatry is just a thing of the past. We have our modern idols, our materialism, or you know, shiny new car we drive, or anything that replaces the place of prominence and priority that God deserves in our lives, that's idolatry. And idolatry is any time we fashion in our minds an image of God that is inconsistent with the way He has revealed Himself. And so, uh, fair warning to all of us today is to guard our hearts, even as believers in Jesus Christ, doing battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, we have this, this daily responsibility to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and say yes to the Spirit of God. That's, that's how we do battle in the Christian life, right? But every time we say yes to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and no to Jesus, our heart just drifts further and further away. Like the old hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Do you feel that struggle in your heart? Okay. It's that old sin nature trying to, though redeemed, that old sin nature trying to pull you back in. Well, imagine an unbelieving world that after all this calamity, the heart is so hardened, it is so calcified that not even not even great devastation on planet earth turns the heart to repent in the face of God. And what I want to just conclude with this morning is just a, a passionate appeal to you and to me uh, to make today a day of salvation. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, th this is fair warning. Uh, this, this is God graciously giving you a glimpse into the future and there's more to come, and an opportunity to escape this through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, this Jesus of revelation, He's the Lamb who looks like a lion. He's a lion who looks like a lamb. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's what the cross was all about and the resurrection that followed. But He promised, I'm coming again, and this time He comes like a conquering lion. The wrath of the Lamb is spoken of several times in Revelation. You don't want to be on the receiving end of that, and the good news is you don't have to be. You don't have to be if you come like every other humble and repentant sinner to kneel at the foot of the cross and say, God, I, I am exactly what you said I am. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And today, by faith, I reach out and say yes to Jesus. Give me that free gift of eternal life uh, that comes with the forgiveness of my sins and a home in heaven. And yes, one day the, the privilege of escaping the coming wrath on planet earth. And for believers in Jesus Christ, we need to, we need to guard our hearts, right? 
lest we drift away from the Lord, not to lose our salvation, but that our heart would calcify and harden in some way, and we would not fulfill all the plans and purposes that God has for us in this life. We need to be about the business of, of telling the story, the full story, the whole counsel of God, including the hard parts, and telling people the good news that Jesus came as the Lamb of God uh, to shed His blood for your sins and for my sins, because God does love us, and He is a good, good Father who gives good gifts to his kids, to his children. You say, I'm a child of God. Well, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 9, to as many as received him, that is Jesus, and believed in his name, to those he gave the right to become children of God. The ones that the good, good father calls children are those that have received his son and believed in his name. Just because you are a child of God by creation doesn't mean you are the good, good Father's child. That comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning, to receive Him, to believe on His name. Not to put your faith in faith, but to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and was buried and who rose from the dead and who promised He's coming again. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If you haven't already, invite him in right now. Make today the day of your salvation. Ron, messages like today's can often be confusing to people who believe in a loving, merciful God. You hear things like, how can a God of mercy unleash such devastating wrath on a world he claims to love? How would you respond to that question? Well, Brian, I think the place to start is in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and God banished them from the Garden of Eden. On the surface, that may seem like too great a punishment, but in truth, it was an act of mercy. Had God allowed Adam and Eve to remain in the Garden, uh, they could have continued eating from the Tree of Life and lived forever in a state of broken fellowship with God. Uh, they would have been redeemed by Jesus, of course, but, but they never would have died which means they could not be raised up again, spotless in their new glorified bodies. And so it was an act of grace, not condemnation. While the last days of planet Earth are not an exact duplicate of what we find in Genesis, the, the two share one commonality. God is graciously revealing to us now what will take place later. In the meantime, he is being patient with mankind, giving everyone on Earth the opportunity to repent. And in the end, when he pours out his wrath, the purpose will be to once again give the world one last chance to repent. God will demonstrate for all to see that he has literally tried everything, patience, love, mercy, and yes, his wrath to get mankind to come to him in repentance. Having tried every possible method, all will know that God exhausted every possible resource and that he is not to blame for anyone's final destination. What we see in Revelation is sobering, and in many cases, downright frightening. But to this point, God has tried everything to reconcile the world and to himself, including coming to earth and dying for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. The last days of planet earth, as revealed to us in the book of Revelation, are but one final attempt to draw people to, to God so that, so that they might be saved from the eternal wrath which will follow. God has already paid the price for sin on Calvary. Let's not forget that. 
His merciful delay in executing his final judgment means that no one can accuse him of being unjust or unconcerned. Great stuff, Ron. Now, before we close out the broadcast, tell us what you can about tomorrow's message as you move ahead in your current series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse. Well, Brian, tomorrow we come to what we might call a parenthetical statement in the book of Revelation. In other words, we've seen all that is going on during these last days of planet Earth. I'm talking about death and disease and pestilence and the overwhelming wrath of God poured out on the world. Now that John has painted that picture, he goes back and tells us of all the other things going on during this tribulation period. He speaks of a mighty angel wrapped in a cloud. He speaks of seven thunders. He speaks of two prophetic witnesses from the Old Testament who come to life again on this earth. I'm talking about two men who will live, die, rise again from the dead, and ascend to heaven. Brian, that's where we're headed tomorrow, right here on Something Good, and it promises to be an exciting journey. Join us then for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Mystery of God and the Two Witnesses. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.